Hi everyone, I'm Brandon Averill, one of the partners at AWM, where we advise people in creating multi-generational flourishing families so that we can solve that shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves financial epidemic. And this is a front row seat with AWM's Chief Investment Officer, Justin Dyer and myself, as we discuss some of our clients' most pressing financial questions. This is AWM Insights, and let's dive right in. Well, Justin, welcome back. Welcome, everybody. Uh, for those this. of you watching, we got we got kind of a professional setup here. Hopefully, somebody's watching. So, if this <laughs> is uh, this is audio only, do us a favor, hop over to YouTube, check out the new setup. Uh, maybe we'll come up with something for the wall here soon. But yeah, it's fun to be back. Uh, we're diving deep. We're going to dive deep into venture capital. We introduced the topic last week, uh, the week before we introduced private markets. So yeah, I'm fun, excited to jump in, take this journey. What we're going to cover today is really, you know, venture capital at a high level. Who are the players? I mean, what are we even talking about when we talk about venture capital? And then how do those those players within the space actually interact with one another as we get a deal done? So Maybe we'll start there, Justin. We'd love for you to just jump in super high level. When we talk about a venture capital deal getting done, who who's giving money to who and you know who's taking the money and and let's run through that a bit. Sure. With anything or like with anything, there there's a lot of history here and and things have changed over over time. So I will say that we're gonna focus more on the present day, I think, with this conversation and talk about the players that really exist today, which again has, has changed over time, not drastically over the relatively short term, you know, last 20, 30, 40 years. But going back, you know, venture really actually dates back to the post-World War II era and traditionally was was led by big family money. So think about the Rockefellers, Vanderbilt, et cetera. Families are still a big part of it today. They invest with venture capital firms, but largely speaking, it's it's call it a consolidated industry where venture capitalists, the, those that are providing uh, capital are, are almost intermediaries between institutions, families, like we just talked about um, going back into to time, RIAs like ourselves, so registered investment advisors, that is, and, and we deploy capital to a venture capitalist fund company or a manager, and then they are then in turn uh, making investments directly into companies. So the venture capital, the VC, is typically a firm set up to aggregate money from various investors and then go and search for what they call portfolio companies to make investments in. We touched a little bit about the maturity of what what companies they are, or excuse me, the maturity of the companies that they are then investing in, early stage to growth stage. Actually, just got an email today from a fund we're invested in about an investment they just they just made, and can kind of use that as a great example. Won't go into specifics. We're not not supposed to there, but uh, it's a great example. Just using the, the general structure of what just happened to give a sense of, of you know really what we're getting into today. I think that's great. And and the one key other person involved in this, right, is the entrepreneur. So at the heart of all of this is somebody that came up, maybe it's just an idea. It's still in the garage and, and they're still banging around what the idea is and trying to figure out if there's product market fit or or other you know, other reasons for them to be able to grow a big company. And then, you know, we 
you hit on funds quite a bit, but the venture capitalists, right? Their whole point in coming in is that entrepreneur needs capital in order to make that idea come to fruition. And so, you know, venture capital is another kind of term, I guess, for entering into a little bit more of a risky proposition, right? It's not a typically at least, and we'll get into the stages and we hit on it before, but as we start out, there is somebody with capital to invest that is going to ultimately believe in the entrepreneur's idea. And so, you know, as we start to work through that, I think it's really important to start to flush out some of this terminology we've been using, but okay, we've got, yeah, the, the early idea, the entrepreneur that has just an idea, we've got an entrepreneur that maybe has a little bit of sales and we've got the entrepreneur, right. That hopefully is a, approaching profitability and scale throughout those times though, right. There's probably, and there are leading question, but different people, right. Different venture capitalists, different flavors that are going to be kind of coming in at different stages. Is that accurate to say? And maybe cover kind of what that looks like, at least historically, because now it's all kind of blending together. Yeah, but. yeah. like like anything, things change over time, like I said at the very beginning. But no, you're spot on. I, w- I will even say that that not all founders starting a company need venture capital, uh, venture capital, capital being the key uh, term there. Where venture capital comes into play is, really, you know, high risk, high reward type investments. And maybe you can control the risk, if you will. And and there's probably some critique you you can make on that comment. But in general, high risk, high reward type investments. Whereas, you know, a lot of small businesses are not necessarily high risk, high reward. And so that's something to keep in mind, right? Venture capitalists are are looking for risk. They're, They're looking for that outside return. And so generally speaking, if you're a founder and you're starting a company, you're like, wow, I have a great idea. We can scale this thing and really attack this market. But I need a lot of outside capital to do that. They're not going to necessarily, what they say, bootstrap that company themselves. So just a, a quick tangent there, but getting into your question specifically, right? The needs of a company are different depending on how mature they are. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but just to dive into it even more, where at the outset, you have an idea, Let, you know, keep it plain and simple. You have an idea, maybe there's somewhat of a product or a service that's been developed, but there's an idea and something that investors can understand. Certain investors are going to be a better fit for consumer-oriented companies. Certain investors are going to be better fit for, you know, enterprise software or fintech, et cetera, et cetera. But Generally speaking, on the earlier side, it's more or less an idea. Maybe there's a little bit of traction you've gained in the marketplace, but it's very early on. And there's a venture capital firm that is comfortable with that. Again, going back to even return. potentially right at that stage, a lot of times it, it, people may be familiar with like a friends and family round exactly. or an angel, right? Right. Yeah. You you could say that's even er- a little bit on the earlier side, but in general, this early early stage seed, pre-seed, angel investing kind of all comes into this, this same category we're discussing where it's early. Yeah. An idea more or less that people are backing. And then the the, as a company starts to get traction, you start to get into what are called Series A, Series B, Series C, Series D. You can even see E, F. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a G. I'm sure it exists. But as the company matures, generally speaking, there's a reason why they haven't had a liquidity event. They haven't gone public, but they still want to take on some 
internal financing or private financing. And there's a reason for that. You know, there's, it, it's totally dependent on the company. And going back to this example that I, that I hit on just received today, uh, fund we're invested in, it was a series D financing round where this company has a substantial amount of revenue. I mean, it's a proven business model, but really at this point, it's just trying to increase the scalability of that, that business model, introduce different service lines, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a series D round. The company's valued at actually over a billion dollars, which is not all that uncommon for a company at that stage, but it's, it's a much different company than it was for a at, at its pre-seed or who maybe maybe it took on some angel capital, et cetera, et cetera. They, they look completely different and investors are better suited to one of those stages or the other. There are firms out there that try and play in 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 a wide range of uh different company or series of investing, different company maturity stages. But generally speaking, com- or venture capital firms kind of try and stick with what what they're comfortable with, their sweet spot, so to speak. And basically what's happening when this venture capitalist comes in and invests in the company, right? Let's just keep it really simple is they're turning over a certain dollar amount. They're raising, let's say $10 million. And in exchange for that $10 million, they're gaining ownership in that company. So the bet is from the venture capitalist perspective is, hey, I'm willing to forego my cash for you. And my expectation is you take that cash, you're going to grow the company at some point we're going to sell this company to another investor. And in that instance, then hopefully I'm handsomely rewarded. On the flip side, right, it's the entrepreneur that sits there and goes, I need the capital to actually grow this. I can't just take the idea and you use the term bootstrapping that only goes so far until you need money to fulfill orders, buy equipment, hire people, all these different types of things, right? And so, you know, the other interesting thing is you start to evolve along this and we'll get into this i think in future weeks but it's not only always a money transaction and that's where some of the the specialty comes in right like why you would want somebody that's really good at let's say series a investing is because they've seen a lot of companies in that stage and they can give a lot of advice so the capital is one thing but as capitals become more plentiful, even in this relationship between the venture capitalist and entrepreneur, that value of experience, advice, et cetera, you know, we talk about it a lot of times on the investor, the LP side, why are we in a, you know, a valuable limited partner, but that relationship also exists with the company and, and the venture capitalist, right? Oh yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, and that dynamic, I think is getting more and more competitive as more and more venture funds are launched, more and more people are throwing their hat in the ring, the marketplace is getting more and more competitive. But I think the the thing to to keep in mind, I mean, we could have a whole conversation probably on that. Um, the thing to keep in mind there is the people who are are, are starting companies, and, and I'm talking really top tier companies, companies that are backed by top tier firms. Like right. we've touched on it, I think, in the the episodes leading up to this, the dispersion of returns in venture is substantial. And I, we were actually at a um, an annual meeting earlier this week and hearing a, a VC firm speak. And I mean, I think he just, he used the term something along the lines of like, there's a lot of crap yeah. or, or a lot of shit, I think is the term he used. Yeah. There's a lot of shit out there. And just to put that into to kind of context, right? The top returning funds, you know, knock it out of the park, hit home runs. The bottom quartile, 
they do worse than the public markets, you know, if not substantially worse. And so as a founder, you want to align yourself with that top top echelon, uh, whatever it's quartile or decile, whatever it may be, those firms tend to stay there and repeat. And so from an investment standpoint, that's what you want to be. Also from a founder standpoint, that's where you want to be. These founders that are creating companies that have tremendous amount of upside, uh, they're not dumb. They're incredibly smart people. They want to bring in the right strategic investors. Not only do they need money, yes, but if a, a venture fund can bring more to the table, which a lot of them can, hey, that's a win-win. And that's another reason why you see you know, in this, going back to this example we, we got today, there were six or seven different firms in what's called the syndicate, right? That That's the group of investors that is investing in this particular round. And each one of those investors potentially has a different attribute that they bring to the table, I think is the way to think about it. You know, obviously investors like to diversify. They probably never want to take the entire round if they could. In some cases they do, but it's it's kind of rare and nor would founders necessarily want them to take the whole thing because again, diversity of thought, diversity of, of value proposition um, is just generally a win-win from a founder perspective. Yeah. I mean, we've heard that a number of times talking with companies, right? If you're a founder, we've heard, hey, yeah, I didn't really actually need the money, but I wanted the experience. They have, they have an operator with in their venture firm that has walked this walk before and their advice is the value there. So I'm willing to give up ownership and, you know, take the money really just to have that venture capitalist on board. We've talked about this with Bessemer in the past and a gentleman, Byron Dieter. It's like, if you have a cloud company, you want Byron to be involved at some level. That's just a huge value add. And so this relationship gets a lot more complex. Uh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's also, there's a, it's a noisy market right now. And maybe I'll end on this, but, you know, we see a lot of capital right now chasing a lot of companies. And I think it goes back to that venture partner really talking about there's a lot of crap out there right now because it's sexy. This is a pretty easy thing to sell, quite frankly, but it's hard to get into that top. He made the comment. They just raised their their most recent fund. I think it was like six and a half billion is more than double what their previous fund was. And they did it with 20 percent fewer investors in their in their fund. And the really point interesting was, statistic. Yeah. The point was, yes, there's a lot of money out there, but, you know, really People, especially at the top end, they want to maximize the value of their relationships. You don't want to just kind of throw throw in people along the line. So, yeah. Anyway, so hopefully this was a helpful, you know, groundwork for who the players are. Simply the entrepreneur. Who's the venture capitalist? What are the roles that they're playing here? In future weeks, we're going to get into for sure, like what you know specifically the entrepreneur, what types of things are helpful from the venture capitalists? You know, how does a venture capitalist pick pick the entrepreneurs? Because that's the special sauce. And so we'll get into all the details there. There's there's some big nuances. And then, you know, throughout, we're going to try to relate it back to you as the investor. Again, when when do I participate in this? When should I get access? Hey, I'm being sold access by my wirehouse broker and I can get in on the next thing. And all I got to do is put 25,000 in and, you know, yada, yada, we'll dispel all the myths there. You're probably getting less than that 
market return in the public markets to cut to the chase. So anyways, we want to hear from you. We'd love to, you know, hear all your questions that you have on the venture markets. Uh, shoot me a text 602-704-5574. Uh, we'll respond right back to you. Comes right to my phone here and would love to hear from you. So I'll give you the number again. It's 602-704-5574. And until next time, own your wealth, make an impact and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.